Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Dom. And I'm Simon. And on this episode we are diving into... Con Uh, please forgive us for any sound issues or quality issues. We are having to do this uh, through Zoom so that we are being socially responsible and staying away from each other. That's right. So let's get started. So welcome to the Mighty 90s movie and TV podcast, where it's always 10.30 at night. Time to grab the treats from the snack cupboard and move on upstairs to settle down for tonight's film for debate, which is Con Air. So... Simon, given that there is a poster of Nicolas Cage on the wall in the office next to you, what did you remember about Con Air before you rewatched it most recently? Well done. I remember watching Con Air frequently throughout my life to date because it is also on my cleaning playlist, which as you know, means that I enjoy listening to the audio of the film while doing household chores and I know the film so well that I can play it back in my mind while doing other things and visualising Nicolas Cage's face on planes and other prisoners and just generally enjoying everything that Con Air gives us in our lives. My first interaction with Con Air would have been probably near enough when it came out, sort of in the mid to late 90s. There was like this list of films that my dad would allow me to watch that were like these action films that were so ludicrous that you wouldn't really be upset about them. It was just things going boom, you know, like Die Hard, Face Off, Con Air. They're just classics that they're not particularly gruesome, if you know what I mean. It's not like they're gory, but they're just great action films that you just love at that age. I remember enjoying watching these films with you in particular, Dom and us sort of watching them on like sleepovers and whatever and just generally loving this film, loving Nicolas Cage and really thinking he was a great actor from this and from him in, in Face Off and in Gone in 60 Seconds and he was a real like hero of mine and it was sad to see his career go into decline in the sort of the early 2000s and though he has sort of independent hits here and there with these sort of indie films, he he is a really great actor um, and he does things in his own way. He, he always has his own take on, on things and on the scripts and the way he delivers dialogue. And I do believe that he will make a comeback in the, in the near future and the cage rage will continue once more. But generally speaking, I just remember loving this film and that love has never died away for me. This is definitely a comfort film. This is a, I could be going to sleep and putting this on to make myself feel better type of film. But what do you remember about Con Air, Dom? I remember, I remembered quite a bit about the film. I remembered, obviously, it's criminals on an aeroplane. They take over the aeroplane. So I remember quite a bit from the film. I remember, obviously, it's been on a plane uh, and convicts on the plane being transported. Remember the key actors in it, so Nicolas Cage, John Kushak, and John Malkovich. Obviously appearances from quite a few others like Steve Buscemi and uh, I mean the list goes on and on and on when we, we'll talk about the cast in a minute. I remember a lot of explosions. I remember 
swipe like just loads of like little bits from the film i remembered cyrus the virus in particular in terms of like the name just remember the name i couldn't remember nicholas cage's character's name but i could remember cyrus the virus and that that sort of stuck with me uh, and also like I, I remember obviously watching it with yourself over those years and my parents liking the film as well my mum doesn't really like big action films and stuff like that but she, she really likes con air so like she likes con air and die hard and things like that so this one was obviously a a, a good one to do and to have because it's it's kind of liked even in my household rather than just being a random film that, that we liked if that makes sense it's a really really good one to pick and how do you feel about nicholas cage through the years i would have to almost agree with you uh, i didn't think he was like my favorite actor or anything like that i think he like in the films that he's done so con air and face off and films like Raising Arizona and like the earlier films that he's done were really good were really enjoyable uh and he plays oh The Rock The Rock's a great film as well I really enjoy that and they're like good entertaining films a lot going on and he's actually very funny he's good has good sort of comic timing as well like you said there's a decline in his act films that he's done haven't gone so well and he's become a bit of a like a weird character himself it feels like. Isn't there a film coming out about him? Oh, really? Where he plays. I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah, there's, there's something weird like that happening. But it's, you, you know, Con Air is great entertainment. And yeah, just it's good fun to watch, isn't it? What I love about this film, and it's funny you saying that your mum and dad were into this film as well, because I remember watching this for the first time with my dad and he particularly being really into it and enjoying it and like him finding yeah a lot of comedy in like Garland Green's character not that my dad finds serial murderers funny but Justin you know he's got the whole world in his hands and you know little moments like that yeah and just generally enjoying it and I remember my dad thinking that Nicolas Cage was played his part really well in Face Off so automatically in my mind, from a young age, I was brought up thinking Nicolas Cage is just the greatest actor there is. So when I was watching this performance in Con Air, I was like, Nicolas Cage is just really acting his boots off right now. And like, yes, he is the ma- He is going to save the effing day. Yes. And I think a lot of that, it brought me into it because... Because my dad was into it, I therefore it had, you know, even more prestigious grounds in my eyes. And I just remember just, yeah, loving this film. Uh, I loved the sort of over the topness that that when I was a kid, that wasn't over the top. That was how all films should be. If anything, all other films were like a disappointment in comparison to Con Air. (laughs) But when when watching it now, obviously we're going to go through all of that in a minute. I actually respect, in a very strange way, Nicolas Cage even more through my adult eyes in that he is not the typical casting choice for this role. Like, you would have thought this would have been, like, a Stallone, an Arnie, you know, that sort of casting. Nicolas Cage doesn't care what anybody else thinks. I think that's apparent throughout his career. He is happy to fully be himself and release the cage rage. And I love that about him. And and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for me, especially in these 90s cage films, they always work. And like when he's on screen, there's he's got that sort of X factor about him 
that I just love it. I love him. I love Nicolas Cage. I, I love Nicolas Cage, okay, Dom? <laughs> I get it. I get it. I totally get it. It's fine. I don't want you to argue with me about this. Like, we're very civil. We're very cordial on this podcast. But this is one thing I will not, and I repeat, I will not take from you is anything negative about Nicolas Cage. I wouldn't even dream of it. Was it you that told me the fact, the little fact about him in Face Off, where he met John Travolta for the first time whilst they were making the film? Was it you or did I read this somewhere? No, I don't think that was me. Okay, I think I think I I think I must have read it somewhere in that when they were getting together to do face off, Nicolas Cage had already like started getting into character and being all kinds of weird and crazy and wonderful. And he met John Travolta and he was he was basically in character, being all sorts of crazy. And John Travolta went, Oh, okay, this is what we're doing, is it? And then joined in because <laughs> he was just he was already there, quite quite met. Yeah, they're both sort of overindulge into their sort of isms, don't they? Like Nicolas Cage in Face Off, he sort of plays up his Nicolas Cage-ness and John Travolta does the same with him, like with some of their mannerisms. So I guess then it was easier for the other one to sort of mimic for when they are playing the opposite character. I can't wait till when we get into Face Off one of these days. Well, you will just have to both eagerly anticipate that one because I really like Face Off as well. It's inevitable that we will be taking faces off on this podcast. <laughs> Almost certainly. Well, take my face off with your deep dive. Okay, so we're going to move into the deep dive. So the film came out on June the 6th, 1997. So for context, we were 10 or about to be 10. We we're a month away from being 10. Which is perfect Con Air age, isn't it? With the exception of some bad language and some shootings, yes. And some rape, I guess. Well, threat of rape. And, and mentions of rape, yeah. <laughs> Which is never never ideal, is it? No, I guess those parts I probably, yeah, probably weren't good for 10-year-olds. But the rest of it... Absolutely. So... Uh, The film was written by Scott Rosenberg, who was also one of the writers on Gone in 60 Seconds. So already familiar with Cage or, you know, someone who who clearly wanted to write for Nicolas Cage. Um, He's gone on and and done loads of other work as well. The the director was a guy called Simon West. So Simon West is actually from the UK and has done a lot of other films as well. Uh, Most notably did uh, The Mechanic, starring Jason Statham. And he also did The Expendables 2. Uh, starring pretty much every like film hero you could imagine uh, and he's done loads of other films as well like Lara Croft Tomb Raider The General's Daughter and like loads of other films so he's gone into producing as well I actually think that this was his first film so Conair was his first film direct kind of more importantly who produced it is, is kind of a big deal so it's produced by Jerry Bruckheimer so we've already touched on the fact that there are a lot of explosions and stuff like that and that's quite significant of, of a Jerry Bruckheimer film because he seems to, to blow everything up, which is great. And even when you told me we were going to do Conair, I was like, OK, so it's Jerry Bruckheimer, a lot of blowing up because that's exactly what he does. So Jerry Bruckheimer's like famous for so many films and producing so many films. A few to mention, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, The Rock, Gone in 60 Seconds, The National Treasure Franchise. So all Nicholas Cage films there, except Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop. Black Hawk Down, Pirates of the Caribbean, and just like the list continues. But Con Air was his first film 
that he did like as a solo producer so he had a long-term working relationship with with his partner and well not his life partner but like a working partner and they split they had a bit of a falling out so that this was his first film just on his own cool well what a great film to to do that with absolutely and he's quite heavily involved in in quite a lot of it as well you know he'd be on set and and seeing how stunts were going off and and kind of what his vision for the film was as well so it's also a touchstone productions do you know who touchstone are owned by i do not have a guess disney Disney, Disney own Touchstone Productions because they own absolutely everything like we discussed last week. Of course they do. Okay, so would you like to know how much it cost to make the film or what the budget was? I would love to know that. So the budget for the film was $75 million. Two and a half times as much as it cost to make Toy Story. Absolutely. But also quite surprising given the cast that's in it. So it must have been at a time where like their wages wouldn't have been as extortionate as they probably are now. Like their fees. Yeah, true. Considering it is a big cast, but I guess besides Cage, at this point anyway, I guess the rest of the cast, they are kind of, they usually play that more antagonist or sort of secondary cast members. They're not particularly names that would be the the leading man of a film. I guess you could argue that with John Malkovich potentially, but people like Ving Rain, Steve Buscemi, you know, and others are kind of a bit more of a, the main cast, but not like the main guy, if that makes sense. So perhaps they were just strategic with how they piece this cast together. They keep a lot of big names in there, but to sort of weave them in without spending too much of the budget, maybe? Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I mean, Steve Buscemi would have done films like Reservoir Dogs by this point, because that was 92, and gone on to do like other bits. And then coming into this one, he he would have been a known actor. But it does surprise me that the budget was issued 75 million and and they got all of these people on it so you know fair play fair play to uh, jerry Bruckheimer for managing to work that one out for sure would you like to hazard a guess at how much it made i would i would i'm going to assume that it was a hit though i don't actually know that for certain it was it hit in my house and hit in your house that's two out of two right there so i'm gonna say fight club made 100 million and that was considered a flop maybe this made like 200 million maybe great guess it was 224 million dollars nice you are really good at this game (laughs) okay so the name of the film is actually taken from the justice prisoner and alien transportation system which is basically a branch of like police enforcement or enforcement in the US that transports prisoners across the country. And they are nicknamed Con Air. So that's where they got the title Con Air from. That's cool. That's a good, good little reference. Let's play the IMDb game. So what do you think the IMDb score is? That's a difficult one because it's hard to know if people are rating that from a subjective, nostalgic point of view or, or from an objective standpoint. So I'll play it safe and say maybe like... 6.4 oh again you're really good at this game it's 6.9 it's actually a bit bit more credit than what you're giving it i think nice nice well i well you'll hear my rating at the end but that's nowhere near as much credit as this film deserves i tell you now <laughs> oh, so the same as the mighty ducks then oh yes <laughs> okay and what about the rotten tomatoes rotten tomatoes is, is always so much harder 
to to guess, I think. And I'm not sure on this, but I feel like IMDb has been around a bit longer than Rotten Tomatoes. I might be wrong on that. So I feel like people are a little bit more cynical and critical these days. So Conair might have got a little bit of slack from, you know, people in the sort of early millennium that people might have been a little bit harsher to it over time. I'm going to say maybe like 30%. Oh, you've got to be a little bit more generous. It got 55%. Let's get it. So that's pretty, that's pretty good considering Rotten Tomatoes are normally quite vicious with their ratings. Conair is five times better than the Mighty Ducks according to Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, pretty much. Crazy. So I've got some uh, fun facts and trivia about the film, if you would like me to go through them. I would love you to go through those. Very first, little quiz. Just just a, one question. What was the name of the plane? <laughs> this is the first thing I notice in, in most films, like the, the weird little detail like this. And I had a feeling, I just had this thought, he might not know. So I thought I'd do a little quiz. Is it called The Jailbird? It is. Well done. <laughs> you had to think, though. You had to think. I did. I did. Because instantly I thought, it's Conair. <laughs> it's actually, it's John Cyrus the Virus that coins it Conair, doesn't he, later on in the film. But I remember, well, we'll talk about the plane when we get there, but it is an amazing plane. And I'll never forget that aesthetic of the sort of stainless steel. And then it has the jailbird sort of a logo on it doesn't it on the side it's yeah awesome yeah so the fact that the whole world is going through this pandemic right now is a tragedy for many 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 reasons and obviously a lot of people have lost family members and people are sick and economies are down so on and so on and that is all terrible Uh, another loss of this time is that on eBay the other day, (laughs) I saw a jacket that was a crew and production (laughs) member's jacket from the film Con Air. And it is a bomber jacket. And it has all these logos over it, including that like Jailbird logo like on the arm. And it's got like the the Conair logo, which we'll talk about later when we get into that bit, like on the uh, on the jacket. And it is the most awesome looking jacket that I want it so bad. I would obviously not be able to wear it in public, but I would wear it while you sat next to me on the podcast. But... <laughs> As everything is terrible right now and I have zero money, uh, that jacket's just going to have to live online until we all get through this. There's no way to justify that right now. But just, yeah, if this pandemic hadn't happened, then you'd be sat next to me and I'd have that jacket on. That would be glorious. Yes. That's obviously not to take away from the world. You know, I'm just making a joke. Of course. Course. Okay, so let's let's get into some of the trivia about the film as well. So John Malkovich was unhappy during the production because the script was being rewritten pretty much every day and he had no idea how his character was going to turn out. Oh, really? That's crazy. So obviously he would have known that he was a psychopath and a bit of a maniac and some sort of murderer, uh, but actually had no idea what was going to happen at the end of the film until he basically got there. Wow. Okay. Good fact. John Kushak allegedly, allegedly dislikes this film so much that he absolutely refuses to be interviewed about it. John, you need to chill out, buddy. This is the, this is the highlight of your career. 
I don't think he understands how much Nicolas Cage has, has boosted him. I bet this jacket is John Cusack's and he just he's put it on eBay himself. <laughs> Maybe. Lower the price, John, and we'll have a chat. Cole Meany, so the guy that plays the DEA agent, Lung Malloy. Now, he is quite special to me because he is in Star Trek as well. So we talked about Star Trek before. So we already have a link to Smart House because he's in The Next Generation, which LeVar Burton is in, and LeVar Burton directed Smart House. So there's our link. Nice. Well, he is actually quite special to me as well because a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I went to see Denzel on Broadway in New York, and he was also in it. Oh, fantastic. And we actually met him afterwards and got him to sign the program. Was he nice? Super nice. He was awesome. Yeah, we didn't get to meet Denzel. <laughs> Everyone else came out. Denzel didn't, but that's fine. Yeah, he was he was great. He was lovely. Oh, that's so nice to hear. He always seems like a really nice guy. And he played a character called Chief O'Brien in Star Trek, who was a really nice character. So a little bit of trivia about him in this film. And you know he's got that really nice posh car. Mm-hmm. So on his key ring, it is a little Star Trek, like, communicator badge. Oh, nice. Little little reference throwback. Yeah, so they put that in there for him uh, as a little nod to his character, uh, Chief O'Brien. Cool. Very nice. I like that. Do you want to hear a little quick side tangent story about when my wife and I went to go and see that play on Broadway? Always. Okay, so we were rushing to get across New York to get to to go and see this play. And on Broadway, sort of like the West End, they're very strict that if you don't get there on time, that they won't let you in. You know, if the show's already started, so you don't disrupt everybody around you. And we were rushing, rushing to get there. And we really wanted to see Denzel, of course, because it's Denzel. And we were running through the subway, we get off the train and we're running up the steps and we have to run like three blocks to get there. So we're running and it's New York, so it's super busy and we're running through all of the different people. And my wife's sort of running ahead of me. And as I'm sort of ducking and diving through people, I accidentally bump into somebody. And as I look up, it's a homeless person. And they look very confused that I've just like sort of body checked them. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I put my hands up to sort of be like, oh, I'm so sorry as I'm trying to push past them. And as I put my hand up, I feel something wet on my fingertip. And I look to my right. And as I put my hand up, he has a homeless friend next to him. And I've just brushed the inside of his lip with my fingertip. (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like i literally he looks he looks at me and he looks so vulnerable and like i've perpetrated a crime against him i look to my wife and i say oh my god oh my god i just i just stroke someone's lip and we have to keep running because we're gonna miss the show so we keep running down a couple blocks and then we get into the theater and the people are taking the tickets and they're saying, you have to go in, you have to go straight in and go and sit down now. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to wash my hands. I need to wash my hands. And they're like, you, you can wash your hands at the interval. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to wash my hands. And they're like, you can either go in now and sit down or you have to wait till half time to go in and sit down. And I was like, oh. so I'm like, okay, how long until the interval? An hour and a half. So we go and sit down 
in this small, tiny theatre, and I just have to sit, and I'm, like, holding my wrist with my other hand, just staring at my hand that has got drool on from a homeless man, who I'm sure is lovely, but still, drool from anyone. And I have to sit there for an hour and a half before I can go and wash my hands, okay? Because it's a three-hour show. It gets to it, it gets to half time to the interval, and I go down, and there's a massive queue for for the bathroom. Always. And then as I'm stood there, like waiting for my turn, I look, and the person that's coming out of the bathroom is washing their hands. They're wearing a baseball cap, and they look up at me, and I get a second of eye contact with them, and I'm like, oh my god, it's Leroy. Who's who's the cop from Gone in sixty seconds? Uh, the older black guy. He's in. He's in the good fight. He's in. He's the dad in Romeo Must Die. Like he's super famous. He he was in the Malcolm X movie with Denzel. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And I saw him, and instantly I'm like, oh my god! And he looks at me like with eye contact to be like, just keep it cool. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just keeping a low profile. And so I, I sort of look at him and I sort of give him a little nod and then we go about our business. Nice. And then I run in, I wash my hand, we go back out to the show. Denzel does a great job. We stand up, stand in ovation at the end of the show. And there we go. And then we saw your guy here from Star Trek and Con Air and he was really nice and he signed the program for us. And there's my story. About when I stroked a homeless person's lip. <laughs> oh, what a great story! Thank you. It's true. I'm glad it involved. I'm glad it involved Cole Meany at some point as well. So it has, actually has a link to Conair. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd be remiss to not share that. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, I'll do a couple more facts and then we'll move on to the scene by scene. Yeah. Please. Okay, so Willem Dafoe and Mickey Rourke originally auditioned for the part of Cyrus. And during Mickey Rourke's audition, he improvised by producing a razor-sharp Bowie knife, which is a big knife, really big knife. Terrified and impressed to the director, but the, the part was still given to uh, John Malkovich. That sounds like the right decision then, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so. He's a bit lunatic. Okay, so a bit of a long list coming. Are you ready for this long list? I am. Stephen Baldwin, William Baldwin, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, Dolph Lundgren, Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bruce Willis were all considered for the part of Cameron Poe. But it was given to your main man, Nicolas Cage. And that was the correct decision. (laughs) Absolutely. To be fair, I could see most of those people doing a good job but would they be able to nail down that southern accent as good as Nicolas Cage did? Well Nicolas Cage actually went to Alabama and spent some time in Alabama Alabama to get the accent right. See he puts the work in and we the world get to enjoy the fruits of his labour. Absolutely which is you know a joy to us all. (laughs) and one more list I've got another list are you ready I love your lists okay so Gary Oldman Kevin Bacon Alec Baldwin George Clooney Robert De Niro Michael Douglas Richard Dreyfuss James Gandolfini Ed Harris William Hurt Michael Keaton Michael Madsen 
Jack Nicholson, Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Tom Sizemore, John Travolta, Peter Weller, and Bruce Willis were all considered to play Cyrus the Virus Grissom. Wow. Basically, Bruce Willis seems to get considered for everything. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Out of all of those actors, if you can remember them, which one was considered the first choice? to play Cyrus the Virus. Oh, John Malkovich wasn't the first choice. There were some ones there that were re- would have been really interesting. I thought that you was going to say those names in relation to uh, Steve Buscemi's character because I thought that maybe people would find that quite an amusing character to play. Personally, ones I think I would have loved to see if... I'd love it if they were able to film Con Air like 10 different times, you know, the whole film, but with different actors playing the different characters just for us to enjoy. I would watch all of them, but I would love to have seen John Travolta in that role because that would be really strange. But Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, they would have all been great, but I would imagine their first choice of the ones you said, maybe Jack Nicholson, he'd be crazy in that role. Uh, the actual answer is Gary Oldman. Ah, okay. Well, he kind of has a similar kind of build to John Malkovich, I guess, in a way, maybe. I think he's got quite a similar manner to, to him as well. They're, they're quite, they do weird and wonderful quite well. They go for the same sort of roles, don't they? Like, they can do really serious, like, gritty, good acting. And then, they, yeah, like you said, they can do more of those sort of off-key character um, roles as well absolutely so there you go there's my fun facts uh and the only other one is that which you've told me before is that face uh, face off was filmed and then immediately after conair was filmed and they actually at one point overlapped so that nicholas cage would have been filming both productions at the same time that's crazy oh and i know that i think they were released like two weeks apart so within the same month or four week span Nicolas Cage had Face Off and Con Air like in cinemas or in theatres, which is insane, which you could kind of argue is kind of the height of his career in terms of what he's super famous for anyway. Like I know he's obviously had more successful films like critically and obviously he's won an Academy Award for his role in, is it Leaving Las Vegas? Yeah, I think so. And he's had other great serious roles. Like, Have you seen the film Adaptation? No. That's a great film. Uh, he's playing twin brothers um, and they're writers. That's a really great like drama. Uh, he's great in like Matchstick Men. And then for less serious ones, I really like National Treasure as well. Is is a good, fun film, a Disney one again. That's interesting that John Malkovich wasn't the first choice really well suited to that role and plays it really well yeah i would agree and just one more thing so in terms of oscars like you've you've mentioned academy awards already it was actually nominated for two oscars no it wasn't are you serious it was yeah for what i wouldn't lie to you so one was for best original song with how do i live featured twice in the film i believe when he sees his hummingbird And then it was, uh, which actually that was also nominated for worst song at the Razzies. Like, um, so uh, it didn't win that either. It didn't win the Oscar for it didn't win the Oscar or the Razzie. So there you go. That must be quite a unique position to be nominated for an Oscar and a Razzie for the same thing. Yeah, 
Must, yeah, definitely. So nominated for best song and then nominated for worst song in two different award categories. That's crazy. <laughs> and the other Oscar it was nominated for was for best sound, but it lost out to Titanic on both accounts. So they got best original song and best sound from Titanic. Fair enough. I guess they also both are films about a form of transport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're both about forms of transport and a disaster. Yeah, but one is Nicolas Cage in, so winning. True, that should have won hands down. It did win a it did win a Razzie though for worst reckless disregard for human life and public property. And considering the year the film came out, you had films like uh, Volcano, Turbulent, uh, Jurassic Park: The Lost World, and Batman and Robin. So it beat all of them in quite a fascinating category, if you ask me. That is a great category. It's nice. I like that. Is it time to dive on in? I think it's time to dive on in. Let's move into the scene by scene of Connor. Hell yes. So the start of, start of the film is quite interesting because it starts off with like um, you, you get that sense of military already just by listening to it. And it's it's obviously that their commanding officer saying you've done a great job. This is what, you, you know, the ranger's life is all about. And we already have our first link to Saving Private Ryan in that he is a second ranger and Tom Hanks and all of his crew, so Captain John Miller and all of his team are second rangers. There we go. And rangers lead the way. That's their phrase. That's what they use. So you hear about them never leaving a man behind and fighting for, for what's right. And then it goes off in that little montage, doesn't it, of like scenes of soldiers in combat and looking after each other and doing the right thing and stuff like that. Exactly that. And it goes to show that Cameron Poe was and is a good military man or good ranger and that he's being discharged, but it's an honourable discharge. Like he's being thanked for his service and for all intensive purposes, he is a good man. Yes. So he is considered a good man, honourable discharge, like you said. He's a sergeant in you know the US Army and he's well decorated. He's got a lot of medals. Uh, on his chest so he's obviously done some some good things and then we move to Alabama so he gets off of a questionable looking boat and goes into a bar to go and see his wife he does Uh, this is where we hear how do I live it's like almost straight away so it goes like the military bit into how do I live? Um, and he goes to home to uh, Mobile, Alabama to go and see his his hummingbird. Okay, this is my first question in the film, a bit I, I don't really get. He goes up to his girlfriend or his, his wife and he says, how's my baby? Meaning the baby that's still in her. And he puts his head to her incredibly flat stomach and starts talking to this baby. Now... He's been away in the army. She's got a flat stomach <laughs> with, like, no evidence that there is a child on the way. Who is the father of this baby? <laughs> okay, Dom, have you heard of refrigerated post? <laughs> Don't talk to me about post, it'll get folded. <laughs> you wouldn't want this post to get folded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gooey. Icky, icky, goo. <laughs> icky, icky, goo. Well... <laughs> my, my post is icky. look potentially right picture this i'll paint the picture for you if i may oh please do cameron poe 
is on a little bit of downtime, you know, on the on the military base, the ranger base, if you will. He thinks, you know what? No time like the present. I think it's time for me to have a baby. He goes over, he grabs a refrigerated envelope and thinks, hey, <laughs> I'm gonna make a deposit. I'm gonna send this first class, <laughs> I'm gonna send this first class air mail. Then over it goes, he picks up the phone and says, hey, hummingbird, couple days time, you're gonna get a cold envelope, okay? What I'm gonna need you to do, I need you to go <laughs> to the kitchen, okay? You know when we make turkeys, right? <laughs> And sometimes, you know, to make sure that that has, has a crispy skin, right? Oh. You need you need to keep basting it, right? You need to keep keep taking the liquid, the the uh, the juices. Yeah, and you got to keep distributing that around the skin of the turkey. Now, what I need you to do is, I need you to take that the baster, okay? I need you to get some hot water and some soap because we're going to clean that off before we do anything. Wear gloves. And, uh, you know, let's make magic. And let's call our baby Casey. That is, that is great. Puts the phone down, gets on the boat. Does that work? I mean, it's, is that theory or you know that that happened? You asked a question. I gave you my... <laughs> I got an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also had it written in my notes that this is the flattest stomach on a pregnant woman I have ever seen. She's doing seven minute abs for 10 minutes a day, am I right? Um, probably like 14 minute abs for 20 minutes a day. You heard of this thing, the eight minute abs? Yeah, sure, eight minute abs. Yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this. Seven minute abs. Right. Yes. I, okay. All right. I see where you're going. Think about it. You walk into a video store, you see eight minute abs sitting there. There's right. seven minute abs right beside it. Which one right. are you going to pick, man? I'm, I would go for the seven. Yeah. I'd go for Bingo, the man. Seven. Bingo. Seven yeah. minute abs. And we right. guarantee just a good a workout is the eight minute folk. She's just doing more than she should with those abs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we have a figure of a woman that is definitely not pregnant that he claims is about to have his child. Right. He's in his uniform and we get some disgruntled, I'm just going to call them working class men at the bar. For some reason, this guy thinks it's a good idea to go and interrupt this woman that he wants to be courting while she's clearly having a nice moment with her husband, kissing, etc. She's quite clearly pregnant. <laughs> yeah. He interrupts them dancing to say, why don't you come and have a beer with me and the boys? What does he think is going to happen here? He's after a fight with Soldier Boy, isn't he? He wants to fight Nicolas Cage and thinks, oh, you know, maybe I can antagonise him and prove that I'm more of a man than he is. Right. Now let's think about where the core of this has come from. Is it because this guy is upset that he hasn't made more of his life? Is he upset that Nicolas Cage is a man of the military and is clearly decorated and is clearly a man that he wishes he could be like? 
Is it the fact that when he wakes up every morning, he has to look in the mirror and realize, hey, Johnny, you didn't do anything with your life. Look at you. You're pathetic. Wow. Uh, there's analyzing and then there's what you just did. <laughs> but yes, essentially, he's he uh, he's basically a drunk at a bar and is a regular, which we find out. A regular hound dog. A regular hound dog. You know this gentleman, Hunter? He's a regular. Yeah, I'm a regular. <laughs> regular hound dog. <laughs> and takes issue with. Cameron Poe coming home in full, you know, military regalia and dancing with his wife, who uh, this guy clearly fancies. So her name is... Trisha. Trisha clearly tells this drunk guy, hey, I'm, I'm dancing with my husband. Cameron basically says, you know, is there a problem here? She asks him to walk away, which he does. And then the drunk guy is basically like... It's people like you while we lost Vietnam and like throws money at him and just again like you said trying to antagonize him. He throws money at him and says, Go and get go and get me and my boys a beer. What a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> and but Cameron doesn't rise to it and he, you know, just sort of walks away and Trisha says, you know, for a second there I thought you as that guy again and I was hoping that you know, you go into the military that he had grown up and gone away. And Cameron basically says, you know, yes, that is what happened. So we do get an inkling to, to seeing that Cameron does have a past and potentially he has had a temper and, you know, potentially he's been in situations like this and hasn't acted uh, as sensibly as he has in this situation. That might have been a little nod to him having a choice in his past, to either join the military or, or end up in prison. So he's gone down the joining the military road. Yeah, good call. I didn't think of that before. You always do this to me. You always you say little things and then they click and then I will never see it the same way again. <laughs> Hopefully you'll never see it the same way in a positive way, not, not a negative way. Hopefully the next time I see it will be in a year's time in my Con Air jacket. Am I right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> then Cameron and Trisha are leaving and it's kind of like romantic it's raining really heavy and he's holding his jacket over their heads as they go into the car but then the boys are there and they want to pick a fight with Cameron one of them smashes their bottle on the fence as they come round and it sounds like they call him a name but they call him like Gumba or something like that like Gumba Pyre yeah, something like that. Something to antagonise him. So they call him a name to be a bit cruel, and then that's when it turns into a fight. And at first he's getting a bit of a kick in, so Cameron's getting a bit of a kick in and losing the fight. It then switches on, military training kicks in, and he starts, you know, beating him up, busting some ass, and uh, one of them pulls a knife out on him. So the main guy pulls a knife out. And Cameron, it's his training, as you said, gets the knife off of him and then he does like the palm to the nose and he hits the ground and he's dead now i always remember this like on like the playground there being this rumor that you could get palmed in the face and then your nose bone would go into your brain and then that you would die and i actually remember being really scared that someone was going to do that to me when i was a kid they called me mr glance 
I guess that is a real thing, right? Like people, if you got a blow to the face like that, that could kill you, right? Yeah, I suppose if you, if you get hit hard enough in the right place, it's, it's going to happen. So, But he's like dead instantly. Like he's like dead weight as soon as he hits him. Yeah, so he, he hits the deck and that's it. He's done. He's done for. He's out. Now, did you remember like these sections before rewatching? Or Yeah, I remembered that he gets into fight because obviously that's how he goes to prison. That's how he ends up on the plane and so on and so forth. So I did remember that, yeah. I think all of these scenes, I think it's really well shot. Like I know that obviously we're making fun here and there and, you know, and it's meant to be taken with a pinch of salt, of course. But I think the cinematography and the clarity and the way it's shot, I think is really good. I think it's, it's well put together, isn't it? Without you, <laughs> there'd be no sun in my life. See how I switch notes there? <laughs> <laughs> Word without you. Mm. Sorry, I just need three, three and a half minutes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> hey, real talk though. Sometimes that song will come on in the car, and if I'm driving on my own and I, you know, go for it, you know, singing, I will cry. <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> in the slightest. How uh, how many points in the in Con Air did you cry? Just at the end. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> There's my mom and bar. <laughs> Dom, she she didn't want she didn't want the bunny, and then she did. <laughs> oh, the bunny bit. Hey, do you know right? Once I was driving. This is years ago. I was probably about eighteen, nineteen years old, and I was on my own. I was on the motorway, and I was listening to some Eminem, and I had it on super loud. And I was to quote him, I was lost in the moment, and I was really going for it. Like I was rapping hardcore you know the score rhymes so good i deserved an encore and wow. was just was <laughs> just going for it hand movements you know everything and i look up as i as i'm driving and i'm you know, giving it all this and i look to the i look to the right of me and there's a car full of people just watching <laughs> and just pointing and laughing at me <laughs> oh no did you stop or did you carry on no, well, I'm going like 70 miles an hour on the motorway, so... <laughs> no, I meant, did you stop singing or did you carry on singing? Oh, no, I literally, my head just dropped. Oh, uh, you should have carried on, made a thing of it. Just go for it. Well, I, sh- I should have now. I would have pointed my, you know, my, my, my rapping and my bars at them. But at that point, I, yeah. And so still, sometimes I could be singing Leanne Rhymes you know, driving, and if a car pulls up next to me, I'll suddenly just be going from full blare to just under my breath. Without you, derpy. <laughs> uh, Leanne Rhymes uh, deserves to be just sung loud and proud, my friend. So just go for it. Just bail it out. Just go for it. Just get it done. <laughs> okay. So he's had this fight, and... <laughs> 
we then end up in a courtroom. Well, yeah. Well, this is basically where Cameron gets screwed over, doesn't he? Because his lawyer says... Well, he says to his lawyer he doesn't want to plead guilty. And the lawyer says, no, look, if you, they're going to they're gonna throw the book at you, basically. And there is no weapon because one of the guys that ran away took the knife. So there's no sort of evidence to show that, you know, it was self-defense. Though, of course, his wife was there that could have acted as a witness. But I guess that's probably, you know, maybe not like a justifiable witness or whatever because she's biased. The lawyer says, no, look, plead guilty. They'll give you, you know, four years. You'll serve one year and then you'll be out. You'll be out in a year. So Cameron accepts that pleads guilty and then the judge instead says well actually you are military trained you are a lethal weapon and because of that you need to be incarcerated for like seven to ten years you've got the skills to kill and you did that's really messed up i looked up that law wow it's not a real law wait what's not a real law it just doesn't matter that he has military training so you were concerned that I was worried that there was a miscarriage of justice here. I mean, it absolutely was. So he didn't actually need to serve seven to ten years. You know, subsequently served eight years, didn't he? It didn't need to happen because regardless of his military training, that, that should never have been taken into account. There's a lot going on there. Like, I can't believe that you looked this up. <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, what can we do? Is it too late for an appeal? I guess so, because he's free and this was, you know, 20 years ago. But... <laughs> What what I would like to hope for is that he's given a full pardon and some sort of compensation for his actions on the airplane. There we go. Yeah, let's talk about the finances. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that when we get close to the end. <laughs> That's right, though. Yeah, he should have got a pardon of, of some sorts. But yeah, we know how that goes. Then... As he's sentenced these seven to ten years, the Conair titles come up on screen. And these this is the same title, like, graphic that is on this jacket. You know you're in for a great ride when you get titled like this. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. You deserve that jacket. Thank you. I, I think so. <laughs> but... Your wife might not agree. No, no. <laughs> and I guess there... I guess there, there are much bigger problems going on in the world right now, but... One day, one day, I hope for a world again where that can be, you know, the biggest problem going on is that I don't... Well, that can be your jacket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Then we get this sort of montage of Cameron in prison and we've got him writing letters to his daughter, Casey. He's working out. He becomes friends with Baby O, who's played by the same guy that's in Forrest Gump. Yep. So it's McKelty Williamson who plays Bubba. He's a great actor, that guy. I really like him. He's also in Free Willy as the social worker. Is he? I don't remember that. <laughs> don't worry, Dom. Free Willy's on the list. Oh, God's sake. <laughs> and he becomes friends with Baby O by giving him this, like, pink sort of fluffy snack. It's a, it's a snowball, isn't it? Is it a hostess snowball? Is that what it's called, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never seen one. I think they um I think we sell them at work. We used to sell them at work. We probably don't anymore because they always get a date because nobody buys them. But <laughs> You need baby O to come through and pick them up. I think they're basically a coconut-flavoured marshmallowy tree, and he loves them. 
and they become pals. And then all of a sudden they become cellmates. Yeah, just o- just over time. Why not? He's also, he's in San Quentin, which is in California. And San Quentin is, I think, one of the most famous prisons in the world, in America, which I believe is in California. Uh, I know there's a lot of documentaries that have happened there. I think Louis Ferrou did a BBC documentary of San Quentin, because that's where there's a lot of people on death row and sort of it's like super high max facility so I don't know why they moved him from Alabama to California. Did you look that lore up? Uh, I didn't, but I think I've seen something before. They moved them to other states, that, depending on the level of security of the prison, maybe? Mm, I guess if he's going down as a murderer, though surely at minimum it would be manslaughter because he did. there was no intent behind it, was there? It wasn't like he planned to kill him. He They had a fight and... It was self-defense. Yeah, had it been murder, it would have been like twenty plus years, wouldn't it? And then, I, then I'd understand him being in San Quentin. Just absolutely, just miscarriages of justice all round. That judge needs to be disbarred or whatever judges get Dis- dismembered. <laughs> He's doing handstand press ups, which is incredibly impressive. And from the looks of it, that actually is Nicolas Cage. Yeah, apparently Nicolas Cage worked out like continuously between scenes and between filming and stuff just to maintain his physique and strength and stuff. That's awesome. I actually saw, I think, is it a GQ thing maybe that they do on uh, YouTube where actors go through their um, sort of most iconic films and I saw one with Nicolas Cage and he was talking about this film and he said that he reflects on it really fondly and he just remembers it being incredibly like testosterone fueled, and that there was just yeah a lot of testosterone on set. So yeah, that makes complete sense. I read something that you know the guy that plays Johnny Twenty Three. Yes. Danny Trejo. Yeah, he's the machete guy, isn't he? That's right. He said that there was so much like machismo, and like you said, testosterone going around that if one actor like spat on the ground or something like that, then all of them would do it. And they'd all try and do it further than the other one. And they'd all do it bigger and stuff like that. And it, apparently it was just constant. It was really difficult to like deal with sometimes. Yeah, I bet. But I guess it kind of makes sense for you know the type of film that it is. He uh, is, is sending these letters to Casey, his daughter, who, he, who they haven't met each other yet. And we get little Scotty Dalton being a little douchebag to little Casey. And he's gonna, she's going to see my daddy for the first time on July 14th. And we see that Cameron has bought a bunny that's going to be his gift to give her. It's the only thing that he could get from the commissary. Um, apparently July 14th is a, is a significant date. Apparently there's a massive jailbreak on July 14th and that's why they picked that date. Ah, nice. There you go. And it's actually Bastille Day in France as well. Dominic, you are full of these little factoids. <laughs> baby o is going to a new prison so cameron says to baby o well who's going to have your back now that we know that cameron is going to be released and baby o says well god's got my back which is the perfect perfect setup for later in the film for my favorite line in any film of all time which we will get to when we get there wow that's that's a bold statement to make that's your favorite line from any film ever oh i know oh i know so we then like the the film moves on a little bit then and we get to prisoner transport where we first get onto a bus so they're on a bus heading to the airport 
and uh, baby o says hey lady I'll, i need my medication or whatever the marshal or like prison officer who's scarred sally bishop played by rachel Ticotin, 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 and she says so she says lady's a dog in a walt disney movie that's right and they have the conversation about cameron has a conversation with her about his daughter and she's saying, well, that's a walking, talking reason to rehabilitate right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's desperate for his insulin, isn't he? That's it, which obviously is a running theme throughout this. I did have one question with regards to Babyo. So they're saying that they're going to populate this new prison in Alabama, and that's why they're moving all of these convicts around and... Cameron Poe is just hitching a ride home because, you know, he's about to be a free man. And these are the most dangerous of the most dangerous criminals, people, you know, on death row, lifers, serial killers, rapists, just the worst of the worst. Why is Baby O there? Because it's just prisoner transport as well. It's not just for the lunatics. It's for just general prison population as well hey i'm not the guy to be pulling holes in it i just didn't i was just a bit confused as to why sounds like you are <laughs> i just sounds like you it sounds like you you give nicholas cage some beef i would the only thing i'd give nicholas cage is a bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine and i'd say hey let's have some dinner let's have a chat and let's be friends <laughs> the cage rage <laughs> Just don't take my face off. <laughs> uh, you'll be gone in 60 seconds. <laughs> okay, so we move on. Uh, we meet Larkin. And Larkin is a US Marshal, and we meet his boss. And we also meet Cormini's character, who is Duncan Malloy, a DEA agent. And he turns up in this like swanky car and is a bit cocky, has a bit of attitude, uh, and is a bit bit of a knobhead really anyway they they go into the the building um the terminal building just before we start seeing what prisoners are going to turn up and we meet the undercover agent that is about to go onto the flight as well can i just say one quick wardrobe point yeah larkin john cusack's character is wearing a beige suit which is very nice i've always been a fan of a beige suit and I don't have one I've been a fan of it because of John Cusack in this film and Brad Pitt's one in Ocean's Eleven but unlike Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven John Cusack is wearing sandals with socks with a suit that is true he is wearing sandals and socks and looks ridiculous they focus on the sandals and socks so I'm not sure if that's meant to be a point of him being like, they reference him like wanting to save the rainforest and this, that and the other, and whether it's meant to show that he is not particularly materialistic in that he is like a modern day hippie, <laughs> I guess. I, I think it kind of shows that he's a bit more new age, isn't he? And he, uh, for the time, and he's not bothered by looking good and sharp and swanky. And it's not about having a gun and a badge. It's about you know, being intelligent and doing the right thing. And I think he displays that really well. Nice. Well put. Thank you. Malloy parks his convertible in a disabled spot. What a guy. <laughs> well, here at Larkin, <laughs> Larkin and Malloy instantly don't get on because they are different, aren't they? And they're, Malloy is a little bit more old school. And like you said. And clearly is about image. And look, you know, he says 
Oh, they, they say, oh, it's a beautiful car. And he says, um, you know, babies are beautiful. Whatever else is beautiful, but this is spectacular. That's it. Yeah. So to use my favourite word of the podcast, they kind of are each other's juxtaposition. They are indeed. We then meet the undercover DEA agent whose name is Sims. And they are sending him on board to try and get a confession out of one of the prisoners on the flight. And then we get this whole guns, no guns debate where Malloy wants him to go on armed and Larkin is saying there are no guns on my flight. Which makes sense. You don't want a gun in a confined space on an aircraft. Exactly that. With a load of criminals on it. Yeah, exactly that. And then this is one of the most iconic scenes of the film, for me anyway, and one that has always been very memorable. So they're in like this sort of surveillance van and they're they've got cameras all over like the the entrance of the plane and like the runway and the the convict vehicle where all the criminals are getting off and getting onto the plane and as they come out one by one larkin is doing this commentary over the top explaining to the dea agents who each one of these criminals are and a little bit about them a little bit about their rap sheet but it also serves as a great way to introduce us as the audience to each of the major players that are going to be on the plane and on the flight. Yeah, so you get a bit of insight into the character and and who it is. So the the main ones are obviously Cyrus the Virus, um, Diamond Dog, and Billy Bedlam. They're they're the main three. They're the you know in orange jumpsuits, caged up straight away. Ones that you need to avoid. Exactly, and I really like Dave Chappelle's entrance which is a, a crazy addition to the cast. And he must have been really young at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure how old he was during the film, but obviously was doing stand-up and stuff at the time as well. And most of his lines are improvised. He improvised the majority of the lines and just, you know, went with it. And they were quite happy for him to do that. And that makes sense because he's really funny uh, in the movie. I really like this scene actually where the the prison guard that's checking him and searching him says oh it smells like someone's in your mouth and he says he told me he loved me <laughs> which is grim but it's obviously a, a technique to uh stop people from looking in his mouth so that he can conceal what he conceals in there we then get cameron poe coming out and larkin saying oh it's Cameron Poe, he's a parolee, he's just hitching a ride home, he's a nobody. But we get Cameron smelling the air. Waving his locks in the sun. And he's smelling the freedom. I love that. It's perfect 90s nostalgia right there. Yeah. We forgot to mention that he's told that even though he's a parolee, because of the flight he's on, he has to remain chained up. And he's in handcuffs still. Yeah. So he's told that. So it's quite important because then he can play the... I'm still a criminal card later on, can't he? Exactly that. Uh, the guard takes Cameron's picture away from him, saying there's no personal items on this flight. And Cameron says, I'm going to get that back. Oh, we're getting that back, yeah. Too right. Yeah, I, there was no need to take it off of him in the first place. What did he think he was going to do? Like, hold the plane up by paper-cutting people? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to chop you with my the picture of my daughter. Yeah, the passport size picture of my daughter. <laughs> we get on the plane. Dave Chappelle introduces himself as Pinball because he mistakes Cameron Poe to be somebody else. And he's like, oh, I thought you were someone else. Well, I'm Pinball. I'm da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And isn't he like... Oh, lucky me, or something like that. He's 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 really disinterested. Yeah, he's just none of this stuff impresses Cameron. Yeah, he just wants to get back to Alabama and meet his baby for the first time. Exactly that, his baby hummingbird. Yes. Uh, Malloy manages to sneak a gun on board on Agent Sims, the DEA agent, by sneaking a little handgun in his sock. Yes, which we already know is against the rules. Exactly that. Colmini's character Malloy being. Uh, the ruthless, you know, kind of old school man that he is doesn't care, doesn't care about the rules. His agents always carry a weapon wherever they go. And this is going to be no different. The head guard on the plane then sets the rules on the plane and basically says, you know, if you even break wind and it offends my delicate nasal passage, we will gag and bag you. And then a white supremacist guy spits on the floor and then the guard elbows him in the face and they gag and bag him, as he said. Yeah, and uh, he ends up with this uh, nice netted bag over his head and some duct tape across his mouth. Try to keep him quiet. This is when we, we sort of get start getting to, you know, a bit more dialogue between the characters. So the, the prison guards on the plane are kind of dis- discussing and saying, this is what's going to happen. This is where we're going. This is what's happening. And uh, this is where one of my favourite bits in the film, like altogether, probably my favourite line is where Cyrus the Virus goes, uh, oh, oh, stewardess, stewardess, what's tonight's in-flight movie? Stewardess? What's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> well, I think you'll like it, Cyrus. It's called I'll Never Make Love to a Woman on the Beach Again. And it's preceded by the award-winning short, No More Steak for Me Ever. <laughs> Funny f- aren't you? I think that's a great line. Just when he goes, uh, oh, oh, stewardess, stewardess, what's tonight's in-flight movie? I agree, that's a brilliant line, and I think a lot of these dialogue points, some of them you can sometimes tell it's been written to fit into the trailer, if you know what I mean, like it's perfect fodder for the trailer. Yeah, let's make it a PG trailer in a 15 film. Exactly that, exactly that. Yeah. (laughs) Move on from here, so the, the plane takes off, we see the two pilots... And then it quite quickly kind of escalates. They quite quickly start formulating or putting together the plan that they've obviously already formulated. And this is where Dave Chappelle starts coughing up the little container that he has like down his throat. Yes, and at the same time, Cyrus and Diamond Dog are pulling out like little pins out of their palms to use them to undo the lock of the handcuffs. But... But just before that happened and just before the stewardess part, Cyrus speaks to Johnny 23 in Spanish and we're introduced to him. And his thing is that he is a rapist and he has a tattoo heart for each woman that he has raped. But Cyrus says that he despises rapists and that a rapist or Johnny 23 is somewhere between a cockroach and that little white stuff that accumulates at the side of your mouth when you're really, really thirsty. Anyway, I despise rapists. For me, you're somewhere between a cockroach and that white stuff that accumulates at the corner of your mouth when you're really thirsty. But in your case, I'll make an exception. 
And I thought that was a brilliant line. And they give a lot of great dialogue to John Malkovich. But I also thought that it was allowing us as an audience member to, in a way, sort of root for Cyrus a little bit. Like it, it, it would, it's not Cyrus doesn't push the boundaries to the point of where we absolutely hate him, even though we know he's a horrible murderer or whatever. But later is also, you know, racist and and etc etc and just a bad guy but you know he doesn't he he has little moments like this where he he still treats other criminals poorly and it allows you to sort of be on his side in a way which then makes it a bit more fun to you know if you like the villain at the same time it gives you more variety as an as an audience you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely we just took a little break to have a quick look at our recording equipment and we have found a way to make it a bit better so hopefully the second half might sound a little bit clearer so yeah all good let's hope so so where are we at uh so we are on the flight uh dave Chappelle's character pinball is kind of uh pulling a little string from his mouth and pulling something out of his throat which turns out to be like a little capsule with a liquid in and a match and he takes this moment to kind of apologize to the guy next to him and says look if you come out of this you know i'm really sorry no hard feelings and the guy next to him is like the hell are you talking about and he bites the the top of the cap off sprays the liquid on this guy and lights the match and throws it on him and he sets the light all the meanwhile cyrus and diamond dog have been releasing their cuffs using the pins that they've just pulled out of their hands and uh, we know that trouble is about to ensue. And all the while, uh, Baby O is still waiting for his insulin, still not had it, the medical box, and the, the guard with the medical box is coming to the that section of the aircraft, but still hasn't managed to administer it to him yet. And the guy's on fire. They grab the fire extinguisher, try to put him out. And it's at this point that Dave Chappelle's character is moved out of the way. He grabs the keys off of guard Sally, and he then starts to open up the levers that release the cages that uh, Cyrus and Diamond Dog are in. Uh, he releases Diamond Dog first, who then, loads of guards then storm in, don't they? And they use their kind of nightsticks that are like electrified to get him on the ground and electrocute him, even though he's, I think Diamond Dog by this point has already killed the guard using the, his handcuffs. He like jabs one in his neck to the guy that was going to administer the insulin. And then it all kicks off and they're all fighting. And then eventually uh, Cyrus gets released. While that's happening as well, they trample over Baby O's insulin. Yeah. And he's like, uh, and his biggest concern is that. He's like, hey, get off my insulin. Not the fact that it's all gone a bit crazy. Yeah. People are dying in front of him. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, hey, get off my insulin. <laughs> I need think, that. Thinking about number one. Yeah, absolutely. It's all kicked off. It's all going a bit crazy. Nobody knows really what's going on except for the people involved. Uh, Cyrus goes running up to sort of towards the cockpit area and the pilot, who we, we already know by this point that there, there is a weapon on board, but it's, the pilot has got it in a lockbox in the, in the cockpit. And the pilot says to his co-pilot, get the gun, go out there and see what's going on. So he does. And as he does that, he's met at the door by Cyrus the virus, who takes the gun off him accidentally shoots two of the prisoners and then shoots the pilot he does and then cyrus gets the remaining pilot to radio back to the air terminal uh, yeah to to the 
to the terminal at Carson City, so where they're going. He gets into radio that everything's okay, and he says... It was a mistake kind of thing. It was just all a, all a foul up, but it was fine. And he says, if you say anything, the next wings you'll see will be on the flies hanging around your rotting corpse. And if you say a word about this over the radio, the next wings you see will belong to the flies buzzing over your rotting corpse. This yeah, is the great bit where he Cyrus is now taking control of the plane. So he now, he basically has told the pilot to carry on to Carson City as normal, tell them there isn't an issue, and then you won't have an issue. So the pilot complies and says, yeah, okay, fine, I'm going to do that. And then this is where it's like the, like one of the most iconic lines in the film, and he turns around and say, uh, he shoots the gun, doesn't hit the alarm, and hits the kind of alarm on the on the at the top of the aircraft to shut it up. It's like a really annoying siren as well. And says, this is your captain speaking. You can welcome to Conair. And as he does this, Cameron actually cries. He yeah. must be hearing some Leanne rhymes in his head and a little tear <laughs> drops from his face. <laughs> He's not going to see his hummingbird. <laughs> they tie up the remaining guards and then they release all the rest of the prisoners. Johnny 23 then gets incredibly rapey uh, towards the towards the female guard, um, and he says that he has a spot on his arm just for her. And he also says, I'm not sure if it's in this moment or earlier in the film or later in the film, but he says, they'd call me Johnny 600 if they knew the real numbers, which is yeah. just absolutely horrible. Disgusting. Disgusting. But this is where Poe steps up and kicks into action and defends her and he won't let her anywhere near him or won't let him anywhere near her kind of cyrus the virus then appears doesn't he as well and says if your penis jumps out of your pants you'll be jumping out of this plane yeah he says can you fly johnny and johnny actually answers which you'd expect that to be a rhetorical question he says can you fly johnny no well if your comes out of your pants then you'll be going out of yeah that door or something like that Relax, he's right. Not here, not now. Do you fly, Johnny? No. You keep that in mind when you look at her, because if your jumps out of your pants, you jump out of this plane. Yeah. And this is the start, I guess, of Cyrus and Cameron building a relationship, so to speak. Yeah, I think he's he's trying to gain his trust a little bit, isn't he, at this point? Well, he, he's worked out that he can gain his trust at this point. And obviously, from the audience perspective and from Cameron's perspective, this is Cameron doing what he can to facilitate some normality, security and safety for him, Baby O and any of the remaining guards. He's going into ranger mode. Absolutely. And Baby O even says to him at one point, oh, well done for, you know, becoming a... It, you've gone from being like a free man to like Cyrus's best mate kind of thing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's like not seeing that actually Poe, Cameron, your friend, Cage, is trying to save you right now, baby-o. Okay, just have another one of your coconut treats and chill out. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Cyrus finds out more information on who is coming on the plane and who's getting off the plane when it stops for a quick layover in Carson City. Is it at this point that 
Diamond Dog, being Rames' character, speaks to the rest of the prisoners, basically saying, hey, you know, we're going to... Everyone needs to comply, work together, and then we're all going to have a vacation, you know, for the rest of our life in a country that doesn't expedite criminals. And someone says, oh, that's great. Who's doing the paying? And he says, or Cyrus says, our employer, Francisco Sendino. And I put here, who? Like, what? I don't understand this plan. Like, I understand in terms of, yeah, let's flee the country but i don't understand where they're getting money from isn't sendino one of the prisoners that gets on at the next drop the guy with the long hair with the ponytail yeah yeah and i think i sort of realized as we're going through that it was like there were some sort of drug lords or something wasn't it but yeah i think he needs them to come up with this plan to get him back home right so he's using them yeah, and back into South America. And then that's why he's kind of offered them loads of money and said, look, we can get you loads of money, my family or my cartel or whatever they are, will give you loads of money to get me out of the country and get me over the border into South America. And then you can all join me in our paywall. The DEA agent Sims at this point pulls his gun out and aims it at Cyrus. And we get the standoff. It really starts freaking out, doesn't he? And and again, this is where Nicolas Cage tries to calm the situation down and say, says, you're in a situation you can't control. Cameron is trying to help, but from Cyrus's perspective, it looks like Poe is trying to help Cyrus. Yeah, absolutely. The DEA um, agent shoots a prisoner because one of the other prisoners comes from the side to try and sort of jump him. He shoots that guy, and then as he does that, he gets shot by Cyrus. Yeah. Dave Chappelle jumps out of the way because he's using him as a, as like a shield. He jumps out of the way and he gets shot. That's right. And then it goes to, like, Nicholas Cage kind of shakes his head. He's like, you know, this could have all been avoided. And then it goes to uh, Larkin, so played by John Kushak, trying to get in touch with him on the radio, on the aircraft. So Cyrus the virus goes to the aircraft, goes to the, the cockpit of the aircraft and puts on the, well, goes over the radio talking to him and explains that the officer has been shot. And Malloy kind of loses it, doesn't he? After the guy gets shot and then it goes to Pimble saying, okay, we're now three white guys short because people have been shot and killed as it's going through, but they need to some of the prisoners need to leave uh, when they switch over at Carson City, but they're three yeah, white six, guys short. Six off, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. So Poe and Babyo both say, "Hey, let's let's get out of here," but Cyrus won't let Babyo go because it needs to be three white guys. So Poe says, "Well, I will, you know, go, and then when I get off of the plane, I'll, you know, tell everyone, and the plane won't leave Carson City." We then get a great. Cameron Poe and Baby O fist bump. I'm gone, man. I'm dead in two hours. No. I'll get off. I'll scream to high heaven. This plane won't leave Carson City. Yeah. Now, Dom, as you generally control the Instagram, I beg you to make that a post when we come to release this because everyone needs to enjoy that fist bump. I, I can make that happen. That's not a problem. I knew that you could. You're the Larkin in this situation. 
Cyrus says, well, the pilot's white. But then they're saying, well, who's going to fly the plane? And they kind of get a smirk. Well, we Obviously, we know that they're bringing on a prisoner that can fly planes. Yeah, which is very handy. Very handy. And we'll talk about him when he comes on because he's got a great little tie back to one of our other episodes of the podcast as well. Indeed. We then get a cut to a scene of Larkin and other law enforcement at a prison checking out Cyrus's prison cell. Yeah. Like the cell that he's just left. And then we cut back and Cameron Poe sees that they're gagging and taping the mouths of the guys that are getting off of the plane. So Poe has to say no and that he wants to stay on because obviously that would falter his plan of being able to tell the authorities and stop the plane from continuing on its journey. So he then has to say that, you know, he's changed his mind. Actually, he's got 15 years left on his sentence and maybe it was just, you know, fear of freedom. And it's almost like the credit that he had already amounted up with Cyrus makes Cyrus say, okay, well then you stay, someone else can go. Yeah, absolutely. When we get, when Poe goes back, Baby O and now the female guard who, they're all sort of in this together and trying to, you know, get free. And she says, but Poe, think of your little girl. And he says, what would my daughter think of me if I left you here to be dishonored and die? <laughs> Poe, think of your little girl. Now, what would my daughter think of me if I left you like this to get dishonored and die? He's, he's doing the, uh, the honorable thing, but Baby O sort of takes exceptions and he says he's not. Is this the point where he says he's not a ranger anymore? Well, basically, like, Baby O just doesn't agree with anything he does because he thinks you're not a ranger, you need to get off this flight. But Cameron Poe's doing it all for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. As the head guard that had taken Poe's picture of his daughter off of him is being sort of bagged and tagged to be going out at Carson City, Poe takes the picture back, saying, you know, I told you I'd get that back. And he finds the wire tape that was on Sims, the DEA agent, and he sneaks that into the guard's shirt as hopefully a method of the law enforcement on the ground being able to know that the plane has been compromised. We get our first introduction of as the plane's coming down to land in Carson City, we get the first bit of the music where we get the... Dun! Dun, 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 dun. You know that you, love, you love doing the music, don't you? <laughs> you love doing it. When you're musically talented, sometimes it's your greatest gift is to share. And you just gotta just gotta let it run free. Exactly. Unless you're in a car and people pointing and laughing at you. <laughs> which which nobody wants really. Nobody wants. Nobody wants that. So we're we're back at Carson City, and we're doing the prisoner transfer. The older prison guard is obviously bagged and tagged, and he's trying to get their attention, isn't he? Cyrus and some of the other prisoners are disguised as guards, and Cyrus is saying, "Yeah, they're bagged and tagged, bunch of spitters and shit. <laughs> which is a good line as well. And the new prisoners are coming in, and the new pilot is the limo driver from the Mighty Ducks. Yay! Which is a great callback. We love to be able to interconnect 
our previous podcast episodes. And of course, he was one of the others on Lost, which I also love. Yes, you do. Very much so. This is not your island. This is our island. And the only reason you're living on it is because we let you live on it. You and me ain't done, Zeke. And Pinball, at this point, is getting rid of the transponder to ensure that the train... The train. To make sure that the plane (laughs) can't be tracked. And he puts it in Uncle Bob's scenic tours, which is a joke that pays off later. And then we get the great introduction of Garland Green. What did you think of this introduction? Do you know what it really reminded me of? It reminded me of when they first released the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, shoot her! Yeah, shoot her! It's that moment. It's really reminded me of that because of the amount of like cage, the, okay, it was the amount of like cages that he's in and the um, the sort of handles they put in to control him and stuff like that. It just really reminded me of that. I think as well it's that they're using like the sort of metal rods to um, move him in and out, aren't they? Which is like the similar in, in that bit in Jurassic Park. But yeah, that's a great reference. It's also very Hannibal lectury as well with the face mask and everything. And Another great 90s film, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. We get a little bit of narration, I guess, from Cyrus saying, well, this should be interesting. You know, he's on the right flight um, and we find out that he's butchered 36 people. Yeah, all down the eastern seaboard. And he's, you know, basically a lunatic complete lunatic that's right dominic and then at this point we go cut back to cyrus's cell and they find the the last supper sort of template with little holes in it to be able to sort of decipher code from a book or from text which is saying about rendezvousing at carson city etc etc and all the schematics of the plane and the plans and then larkin says okay don't touch anything. As he runs out, there's a box that says, do not open. And what does one of the guards do? He opens it. And what happens? Boom. Boom, indeed. He gets blown up. But what's what's really annoying about that scene, and this is this is the only, I think the only pitfall in the film, of course, <laughs> um, is that the box, when John Kushak leaves the room, is on the floor. And then when the guard sits on the bed, it's on the bed next to him. So okay. it's moved without anyone touching it. It's the only bit that really bothered me about the film. <laughs> well, I'm glad that's the only bit. That's good. Yes. <laughs> the explosion yeah. goes off. The door of the cell comes flying down the corridor towards him and he just manages to fall or duck out the way. And then he looks up and there's a massive metal shard that's just above his head, like embedded in the wall that would have basically torn him in half had it hit him close call for larkin and those sandals absolutely absolutely and then this is where they will start working out that the plane is is under under the control of of the prisoners that's right so they discover that the guards are not convicts on the bus yeah so the tape falls out of his jacket you know the tape that the da agent had falls out the guards 
uh, shirt and rolls and hits the guard on the on the coach and then they start phoning and saying you know we've got this problem and that problem and then they they start sending in the troops poor police officer it looked like he was just having a quick break has to yeah. get up and go and see what happens and he goes face to face with cyrus and it's basically who's going to be able to pull their gun first and unfortunately for this guy cyrus does and unfortunately yeah. for him he's getting a folded american flag sent to his family's home wow that's so deep it's procedural <laughs> it has to happen <laughs> they'd be upset if they didn't get that flag absolutely hopefully they have like full honours at the funeral and, and all sorts of things <laughs> Malloy finds out that his agent got killed and Malloy and Larkin argue about it and then I've put here in my notes that Larkin's suit could really do with a good iron <laughs> that's a bit creased isn't it <laughs> I, I get it it's a busy day but to come be fair, on he has, he has very nearly been blown up yeah I guess but you know take a minute get the iron out just steam it go and stand in like a steam room for two minutes and it will... it's, it's basically linen isn't it those creases will just fall right out just hang it next to the shower you know wash <laughs> yeah. off get them fumes off you by the time you're out Good as new. Put the sandals back on. (laughs) And the socks first. Yeah, good to go. Malloy orders for armed choppers to take the plane down. Cyrus frees Garlin, and then Garlin, Steve Buscemi, kind of steals the show in some light going forward from here. So the police are tracking the wrong plane. Poe asks Cyrus what the plan is. And this is the point where Cyrus is radioed by Larkin and Malloy. And they're saying, you know, we'll ask you a question, you ask us a question. And Malloy gets heated about his DEA agent. And Cyrus is saying, he doesn't speak again. I'll just speak to you, Larkin. And uh, they talk and there we go. We move on. And he sings his little song about the DEA agent, like wetting himself and and dying doesn't he he does which is deep and antagonizes Malloy and Larkin as well Larkin gets a bit frustrated by it as well yeah playing games yeah mind games big old mind games so then the uh, authorization for these choppers has come down and they're going to go chase the aircraft and potentially shoot it down and Larkin is saying you can't do that there's innocent people on there and blah 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 and Malloy says they've all signed their hostage clause isn't it something like that yeah host- hostage clause they, you know they know what's coming and Larkin is like no you can't do that he's basically that like a bit more of a humanitarian and a bit more of a decent guy about it and we learned that the plan is to land at Lerner Airfield which is 49 minutes clear of anything resembling authority absolutely Mrs. Poe, Trisha and Casey then find out what has happened and get a jet to go and meet with Larkin. Yeah, it's a guy that's in Apollo 13, isn't it? He turns up and says, Mrs. Poe, your your husband has been delayed or whatever and then takes her away. That guy's, that The guy that says that, the marshal, is in Apollo 13. Dom, did you know that Colt from the Free Ninjas is... Tom Hanks' son in Apollo 13. 
dead. Sprocky loves Emily. Sprocky <laughs> loves Emily. Three ninjas <laughs> coming to our podcast definitely at some point in the future. 100%. It's going to happen. Last summer looked like another great summer with our grandfather. Me and my brothers. My brothers and I. Whatever. We spent most of our time training to be ninja masters at our grandpa's cabin. Yeah, most kids are at some stupid camp. My two younger brothers and I studied with our Japanese grandfather. Poe tries to talk to Diamond Dog Ving Rames about him being a black militant and Cyrus being a white boy on a power trip. And he basically says that he's playing along now until he gets to where he wants to be. But we are reminded again that Baby O still needs his shot of insulin. Yeah, where's my insulin? And Poe then basically explains the whole plot of the movie just for reference and potentially for the trailer. So what was that all about? Oh, nothing. Except they somehow managed to get every creep and freak in the universe onto this one plane. And then somehow managed to let them take it over. And then somehow managed to stick us right smack in the middle. Larkin gets Poe's file and, you know, realises that, hey, here's a parolee. He's hitching a ride home. You know, he, he's not a bad guy. Yeah, he, you know, made some mistakes and whatever, but nothing serious. He's just... You know, wrong place, wrong time. But Malloy isn't interested. It's very diehard-like, like in that Larkin is sort of like pal in Die Hard. Meet Reginald Val Johnson after he was the cop in Ghostbusters. But before he was the cop in Family Matters, he was the cop in Die Hard. He may not have the best diet or the best judgment. I shot a kid. But he's the best there is when it comes to moral support. Just watch your ass and you'll make it out of there, you hear me? He is alone, tired, and he hasn't seen diddly squat from anybody down here. Hey, look, I love you. Malloy is like being like Johnson, you know, like the pals boss. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. You know that I just referenced that, so in here I can insert... Hans, Booby. Hans, Booby, I'm your white knight. I just like to try and reference Die Hard so I can put it in. <laughs> you like to put it in even if you don't reference Die Hard. <laughs> it needs to be involved. <laughs> Hans. Bobby. Malloy's uh, attack chop has come and he leaves to track the plane. But as we know, he's going to track the wrong plane. And at this point, Diamond Dog gets Poe to go and check on the landing gear because they're... Seems to be a problem with the landing gear and they're not able to go as fast as they would like to go. Absolutely. They're trailing behind. Their speed is not is not where they need to be. So Diamond Dog is asked to go and then Diamond Dog uh, decides to delegate to Poe. And he calls him Hillbilly. Oh, Hillbilly. And he gets him to, to come down and basically find out what's happening. And then this is where we see Dave Chappelle again or Pinball has tried to climb back into the aircraft and has got stuck and has basically crashed and frozen and has died on when they've taken off uh, and is now dead. And this is Poe's great opportunity when he's not being watched to write a message on the body. Which he does. 
and then they give him burial by aircraft and throw him out and then we get this great comedy moment of an older couple driving their car fresh out of getting it washed and a bird poos on the windshield ah always when i get five minutes away from the car wash this happens and then smash down goes pinball into their car i always remember this moment as well well i had forgotten who is driving the car until I rewatched it recently. So the gentleman driving the car is an actor called Don S. Davis. And Don S. Davis is in a programme called Stargate SG-1. Plays a character called General Hammond. And I used to watch that quite a lot when it was on. Pretty much watched them all. And he's one of the main characters in it. So he's actually quite a well-known actor. Cool. Cool. Nice throwback. But yeah, there's it sort of is an absolute disaster. This body like smashing into their car, destroys their car. They then get hit by two cars, and there's a lot of screaming. And then we have a police officer who manages to get hold of Larkin and says, well, bodies just falling out of the sky. And he's like, okay. He says, well, it's just smashed into a car in the middle of this street. And he's like, right, what's that got to do with me? He's like, well, it's got your name written all over it. <laughs> yeah, which is perfect. And it's the first message from Poe to say, basically, I'm your ally on board. Larkin starts putting two and two together and working out that this guy is on their side and how he can help basically that poe is larkin's john mcclain in the sky hans bobby you need to drop the die hard biddy bedlam then questions poe about where he was in the prison in that well I heard you said you've got 15 years. Well, that put you on North Block. You know, I was on North Block. I don't know you. And Poe's response is, well, there was 160 cats on North Block and I didn't want to know 159 of them, including you. So very very well done, Poe, for accurately knowing the population of certain divisions of the prison. I know. That's fantastic. It's great news. And the fact that Billy Doodah um, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually believed it as well for like a second. He did. It was enough, enough to get out of that difficult conversation. Yeah, enough to move him on. And we then get Garland's first words referencing to Billy, and he says, He is a font of misplaced rage. Name your cliche. And it goes a little something like this. He's a font of misplaced rage. Name your cliche. Mother held him too much or not enough. Last picked at kickball, late night sneaky uncle, whatever. Now he's so angry, moments of levity actually cause him pain. Gives him headaches. Happiness for that gentleman hurts. What's wrong with him? My first thought would be a lot. <laughs> A great moment to put that in. What did you think of this moment? I think it's great. It also starts to show off the creepiness of um, Steve Buscemi's character, who then, is it at this point, he explains he wore a girl's head as a hat as he drove through, like, certain states. Through three states, yeah. And Poe's like, shut up, it's my daughter's birthday. Yeah, he said, please feel free not to share everything with me. Yeah. It's Steve Buscemi's just got this perfect, like, childlike 
cherub sort of face and then talking about these horrible, horrible crimes. It's something, all right. It's we... a creepy. <laughs> there we go. Larkin <laughs> then meets Trisha Poe and Casey and is sort of, you know, trying to find out more and trying to make more sense out of Cameron and his intentions, I guess. And at this point, Diamond Dog tells Billy that personal items are under the plane when he walks out of the gully of the plane wearing some sunglasses. And they're Sally Can't Dance's sunglasses, aren't they? Is it Sally Can't Dance? Is that her name? <laughs> I, I don't know what her name is, actually. So I, sure, I, think, yeah. I, think, but I think that's what they call him, her. It's Sally Can't Dance. And yeah, she's they're my sunglasses. And he's like, not anymore, and takes them. Larkin tries to tell Malloy that he is tracking the wrong plane. Malloy's having none of it. Larkin knows he needs to get to Lerner Airfield, so he steals Malloy's car as it's faster than his to drive there. Yeah. At this point, Billy Bedlam has been down to the gully of the plane, and and Poe has witnessed him doing that, and so wisely sort of follows him down there while Billy is reading his parole letter and has his bunny and then we get the classic line of put the bunny back in the box yeah <laughs> which apparently the the whole bunny thing was nicholas cage's idea and there we go i look at him on the wall right now i slowly and softly stroke his cheek and say <laughs> you are my hero thank you nicholas cage <laughs> Well, that is one of the most memorable things of the whole film. So, yeah, that's brilliant. And, and like, he wanted to put it in because he wanted to have that that connection, and he said it would be like something about it being a good connection to his family, and it, it adds just like a a little bit extra to the film. So that that's why he he put it in. That's why he wanted it in. Nice, I love that. Put the bunny back in the box. I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You were playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box. Why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? Well, then they a uh, fight ensues. Billy gets killed, but accidentally again, which goes to show that Cameron Poe. He's just he's an accidental murderer. Yeah, he's just <laughs> really bad at accidentally murdering people. <laughs> and then he says, "All really good at it." Yeah, or perfect at it. Uh, he then says the classic line of, "Why couldn't you just put the bunny back in the box?" <laughs> and then he comes back up, doesn't he? He sits back down in his seat next to Baby O, and this is where. Garland Green goes, two go down, one comes back up. That's it, yeah. And he talk about semantics of, he says something like, you're crazy, I don't want to hear your craziness or something. And it's like, crazy? You could say, you know, working 50 hours a week in an office and then, you know, retiring and this, that and the other. You could say that's crazy, which is, it's a great little back and forth. I think this is the point with the wearing a girl's head as a hat 
through three different states. Right, right, right. I mean, this is so we we uh, we jump about a bit, so you have to bear with us, you know, and and understand that sometimes we go back and sometimes we we shoot forward. So we we make mistakes. We're human, but please forgive us for it. Two went down. One came up. One will fall. Well, you don't have to tell me. Most murders are crimes of necessity rather than desire, but the great ones, Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy, they did it because it excited them. Don't you... I got nothing in common with them, with you. Don't you talk to me. They were insane. Now you're talking semantics. What if I told you insane was working 50 hours a week in some office for 50 years, at the end of which they tell you to piss off, ending up in some retirement village, hoping to die before suffering the indignity of trying to make it to the toilet on time. Wouldn't you consider that to be insane? Murdering 30 people, semantics or not, is insane. One girl, I drove through three states wearing her head as a hat. It's my daughter's birthday today, so please feel free not to share everything with me. Larkin then arrives at Lerner Airfield. He sort of hides. We get the dun dun music again. Air traffic controller is dead. Con Air lands. This it does they they have to like emergency land a little bit though, don't they? Because they they there's a smaller aircraft on the on the runway and they have to go over it. So they have to take off again slightly, jump over it, and then land again. And they haven't got enough runway to stop. So they the pilot gets rid of the or like removes the landing gear. So the plane sort of basically digs itself into the sand. And it's incredibly close to hitting a massive tank of propane. Yes, which we wouldn't want to happen. And then as they get off, John Malkovich says, thank you for choosing Conair. <laughs> Great line. Then Cyrus is saying, where's the plane, Francisco? So as you said, this long-haired guy, this is Francisco, is saying it will be here. Poe then is trying to move Baby O, thinking, okay, why don't we just get out and just hide here? And this is where Baby O is like, here he goes again, Ranger Boy, which reminded me of, if you haven't listened to our pilot episode of Smart House, today is a great time to enjoy that, especially now that you can watch Smart House on Disney Plus if you have that service, where we have Computer Boy in Ben's character in Smart House. <laughs> We do. Computer boy. Computer boy. <laughs> then, and now we know that things are getting serious, Poe takes his shirt off, and for the rest of the film, we've now got white vest Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Your favourite. My favourite flavour of the cages. <laughs> Poe then leaves the aircraft, doesn't he, as... Diamond Dog is about to essentially execute the three remaining guards. That's right. And then he has to sort of play along, doesn't he? Saying, there's nothing I'd love more than to put a bullet in each one of their skulls. Hey, man. Come on. I can't think of a thing I'd like better than to put a bullet in the brain base of every one of these 
Yeah, have he, kick, no he kicks them over at the time, doesn't he? Yeah. And it's at this point that Diamond Dog says, like, what's what's your problem? Why are you stopping me? And he says, well, we've got, where's this jet? We've got no, like, bargaining chip, no bargaining tool. If that doesn't happen, we need them, you know, as much as much as we need, any like, anything else right now because they could be our ticket out. And Cyrus then agrees. So, again, he's bought favour with Cyrus. Yeah. No one has seemed to realise by this point, though, that Billy is missing as well. Yeah, good call. So they're yeah. all, like, basically they've been tasked with digging the plane out and getting it out ready in case they need it again because Cyrus is, you know, kind of agreeing this jet hasn't arrived yet and they said it would be there. So they need to crack on and start coming up with a, a potential plan B and keep the guards alive and dig the plane out. And then at this point, Garlin decides to take a walk and this is where he finds the little girl. And on first viewing, this is obviously horrible and traumatic because we're thinking that this little girl is about to be, well, just... Uh, yeah, just horrible things about to happen. Yeah, thankfully that isn't the case, but... Absolutely. Poe goes to get the fuel truck. Uh, That's what he says to Cyrus, but actually he's going to try and find a needle to be able to give Baby O his insulin. Because he's got one little vial of insulin left, but no needles to administer. And this actually is one of my favourite lines, is we go back to Malloy and he's saying we can't... Someone, He's saying, where's Larkin? Because they've realised that they're tracking the wrong plane. And one of his colleagues says, we can't get hold of Larkin. And he says, of course you can't. He's off saving the rainforest or recycling his sandals or some (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. That's a good line. Very good line. Poe gets into a fight uh, while looking for a needle because he stumbles across Francisco's friends or colleagues or the people that have the secret other plane that are going to get him out of there basically gets into a situation where he's like if you shoot me there's going to be 20 you know pissed off prisoners that are going to come running in and they put a silencer on the gun and he's like well thank god for the sound of silence and then at this point johnny 23 who's up in the watchtower sees that in the distance that the authorities are coming and he gets up on top of the tower takes his shirt off and then signals to everyone else saying hey we got company. <laughs> uh, they, but I think that, that scene is really well shot. Like, I like the way that the camera sort of pans around. Hey, we got company. <laughs> Do it again. Hey, we got company. <laughs> Excellent. That is, that is perfect. Perfect. If only he was on the call as well to uh, hear your little audition there. Thank you. It makes me very happy. Good. Um, It's at this point that uh, Larkin then appears to uh, almost at Poe's aid and uh, tries to stop the three that are holding pointing guns at Poe. And at this point, Poe just gets back into his military training and just you know, does what he does and... Beats them all up. (laughs) But he doesn't accidentally murder anyone this time. No. He he does have like a perfect roundhouse kick that he does 
and then Poe and Larkin start to converse. And there's some of the best dialogue or best lines in the film, in my opinion, in here. Anyway, we get Poe saying, there's two men that I trust. One of them is me. The other is not you. Larkin finds out that Poe has a friend on board and he says that he'd spoken to Poe's wife and his daughter. It's like in person. Yep, in person. He says, you know, she's my hummingbird and that he couldn't leave a fallen man behind, which is a great tie back to our last episode of Toy Story. Yeah. The little toy soldiers. Never leave a man behind. And then Dom, he says, Poe says, you know, well, can you give, you know, them a message and say that I love them and, you know, I'm coming home and whatever, whatever. Larkin says, okay, well, what are you going to do for me? And Poe says, come on, Dom. I'm going to go save the day. Come on, Dom, with some conviction. Is, is that is that the line? Come on. All right, ask me what I'm going to do for you. Okay, what are you going to do for me? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the f***ing day. No, I don't know what, <laughs> what accent was that. Um, it's a little bit I Russian. Think, I think it was American, it's fine. All right, what are you going to do for me? Uh, I can't remember it. <laughs> Dominic! <laughs> Say it again. What? Right, the line. Yeah. The line is, "What yeah. do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the f- day." Okay. 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 What are you gonna do for me? What do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the f- day. Yeah. <laughs> this is mental. What do you think I'm gonna do? I'm gonna save the f- day. The convicts are pulling the plane out of the like sand that you know that is like in or whatever. And they're actually being whipped while they're doing it. Like slaves. Yeah, like crazy. <laughs> we then cut back to Garlin with the little girl and she's saying, are you sick? <laughs> like, you look ill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's concerned for his welfare. Yeah, you're pale. <laughs> um, <laughs> she says, you know, do you want to sing? And then we get the, he's got the whole world <laughs> in his hands. Uh, her cadence annoys me. Like, I was always taught... Her it's... cadence annoys you. What are you saying? My cadence annoys you? Oh, no. I mean, you have a... Your voice is angelic. Thank you. Now, what I was saying, Dominic, was that Dom. I was always taught, and you were taught, because you were sat next to me in primary school assembly when we had to sing this song. We were taught, you got the whole world... In... No, because I'm doing her cadence. You got the whole world in his hands. You got the whole world. Right. Her cadence is, you got the whole world in his hands. No. <laughs> but learn it. Get it right. And they sing the whole world in his hands. It's just an iconic moment. And then Francisco makes a run for it to meet up with his friends that, that he doesn't know are all, you know, been beaten up or accidentally dead or whatever except for the pilot (laughs) but Larkin is able to stop the jet with a crane so the jet crashes but then Cyrus is able to sort of catch him while he's stood amongst a lot of fuel in a very vulnerable position and then we get a classic scene of Francisco saying Cy and And he says Anara and flicks the cigarette into the fuel. It's classic. 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 
Please. Sai. Anara. As this is happening, Poe is running away because he's actually hiding behind the fuel station and he does a slow motion run and dive away from the explosion through a window and then he rolls under a truck where he meets an old man that really badly needs to pee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on that. I'm sure you already know, but Nicolas Cage did all his own stunts in this film. I didn't know that. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay, I'm back over to the picture. Little strokes. <laughs> You Give that picture some man. love. You beautiful man. <laughs> beautiful, heroic man. So Cyrus finds Billy's body, and then the convicts start to lock and load as Cyrus gives the plan of what they're going to do when the authorities get there. And he's showing them using like a Coke can and sticks and whatever. And there's a great little line in there where a guy's like, What's that? And he's like, That's a rock. Oh, yeah. And he flicks it away with his stick or whatever. And then essentially as the authorities arrive it then becomes like a massive battle doesn't it with this this is this is where jerry brookheimer sort of comes into his own or it becomes evident that it's one of his films because there's explosions there's shooting there's people getting blown up and and thrown about and there's all sorts happening there's there's trucks being driven through things and it, oh it's it's like mayhem from then it's magical viewing for a 10-year-old. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is what make it, makes it the perfect film for a 10-year-old. Exactly that. Poe manages to find a needle so he can get a needle to Baby-O. Police basically are just getting massacred. Lots of boom. Johnny then goes to rape the female guard and Baby-O is trying to help, but he's you know, pretty much on death's door at this moment. Yeah. Poe has this great moment of, okay, there's all this mayhem happening, but I need to get back to the plane to save my friend that's basically dying. So he just says, let's do it. And he just has this amazing run to the plane with the great... (laughs) Am I right? Yeah, you're right. When you're right, you're right. Thank you. I hope that when I do that, that you and our listener can visualise it, you know? I I definitely can at the moment. Well, that's one out of two. (laughs) (laughs) So then Larkin is, like, helping the police and, you know, yeah, this great sort of action sequence. And while this is happening, Poe actually anchors the plane to try and stop it from taking off. And then as Johnny 23 is getting closer and closer to actually raping this poor woman, Poe has the great moment of coming in and saying, you don't treat women like that. And as he does it, he's just smashing Johnny 23's head against the, the cage. And then he handcuffs him to, to the cage as well. Like His arms are quite high up, aren't they? Yeah, in basically the same sort of position that the female guard was handcuffed in. That's right, yeah. So then Garland walks back with the doll in his hand, so we're uncertain of the little girl's fate. Everyone's running back on the plane, but then Cyrus is seeing we're tied up. Uh, The anchor, it sort of pulls through the sort of concrete bollard that it's been connected to, and then it connects on to 
Malloy's car. And then we get this great sequence of the car mid-air being carried by the plane. And I feel like I remember this being um, featured heavily in the trailers for the movie. Uh, yeah, probably. I, I don't remember the, the trailers, but this is there's a great moment where obviously the pilot is worried about they're carrying too much weight or it's too much drag on the aeroplane. So he's trying to like drop it off, basically. And then they smash it through the um, control tower. That's it, and yeah. It, and it goes flying off and then lands in front of them. But as it's flying behind them, Nicholas Cage says something along the lines of, uh, sorry, Poe says something along the lines of this, on any other day, this would be weird or something like that. Yeah, on, every, on any other day, that might seem strange. Yeah. <laughs> and it lands perfectly in front of Malloy so he can just see his crushed toy and then kicks in. Sweet uh, home Alabama. <laughs> Dominic? Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. And coming so, home to you. Yeah. Sweet um, Everyone. Um, Dominic, come on. No, I'm not joining in. I'll start again. No, 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 it's fine. Honestly, it's fine. You've done a great job there of letting us know that Sweet Home Alabama kicks in as they take off again. And then we get the Define Irony segment. Yes. This is the point where Garland Green says, Define Irony, a bunch of idiots dancing around on a plane to a song made famous by a band that died in a plane crash. Yeah, love that. Actually, like a few members of Leonard Skinner died on the plane crash on October the 20th, 1977. It wasn't all of them, though. I think it was only three of them. That's sad. Seven, seven of them still live. Super but sad, still, though. Still very sad, yeah. Still not nice. But, yes, it was a good touch of irony and, and quite a good good line to put in as well. He's from Alabama, so he's, he's you know, that should be a, a good song for Poe, but he's not enjoying his time at all. And that yeah, that is his sweet home. It's at this point that Cyrus and Diamond Dog they they know about Poe, and then Cyrus is saying someone told the authorities, someone killed Billy Bedlam, someone da 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 da, someone da 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 da, and then Poe's about to stand up because Cyrus grabs the female guard and says, "I need answers right now, or I'm going to shoot this guard." On the count of three. One, two, and then Poe's about to stand up. And Baby O says, it was me. It was me. Cyrus is saying, you were near death this whole flight. How was it you? And he was like, well, it was me. That's right. That's right, mother It was me. And then, bam, Cyrus shoots Baby O. Poe lets out this, Jesus! And the pain in his face, Dominic, to describe it to you makes me upset now. Look, it was me. No, he's, he's flipped out, man. He's nuts. It's pretty clever, huh? Jesus! No, that's clever! My daddy is coming home on July 14th. My birthday is July 14th. I'm gonna see my daddy for the first time ever on July 14th. Make a move and the bunny gets it. Well, he's never met his his child, so I think I think Baby O's his, you, you know, his like one 
one love at the moment, isn't he? I mean, he, he, he loves his wife, but hasn't seen her for eight years. So, so Baby O's got to be, you know, he's, he's, this is man, this is guy, this is pal. That's the guy he loves. Well, it was really good acting from Nicolas Cage in that moment because I feel <laughs> the pain. I do. And then at, this is where actually Cyrus knows that it's Poe and he starts reading the I'ma see my daddy on July 14th letter. And then we get the classic line that was definitely in all of the trailers where he says, make one move and the bunny gets it. <laughs> and then that's where the helicopters appear out behind and they, they start firing into the aircraft. What I love about this section is so it's Malloy in like the firing helicopter shooting at Conair, but then Larkin is in like another helicopter behind him just shouting at Malloy and he's just sort of he's just like saying things like God damn it Malloy cease fire you son of a <laughs> well i just love that because it's just the height and tension and in the background we still got the <laughs> you know put all of that together you've got one con air pie that's very cool but so while cyrus is distracted uh by the helicopters at the back and diamond dog is as well he's, he's sort of joining in with shooting massive helicopters with pistols um <laughs> Cameron Poe decides to take this opportunity to regain control of the aircraft. Baby O's been shot. He's on the ground and the female guard's there and Poe's there and Baby O's saying, I don't know, I've got a bad feeling about this one. All I keep thinking is maybe God doesn't exist. And then Poe says, the line of the film, maybe my favourite line of any film of all time. Baby O says, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to show you God does exist. <laughs> All I can think about is like, there ain't no God. Like, he don't exist. Hey, where you going? I'm going to show you God does exist. And he stands up and he just starts charging towards the cockpit of the plane a guy smashes a glass, is trying to, you know, he deals with that guy. Another guy shoots him in the arm. He's just not phased because he is just in boss mode. And that is basically what helps him to take over the plane. Yeah, and he saves the day from there. And he managed to get onto the radio to Larkin and says, you know, I'm with the pilot. I've, I've got control now. I'm the captain now. I am, yes. And Malloy may still fire, but he decides to hold fire. The female guard hits Cyrus. With with an automatic weapon in the face. Yeah, so, ouch. Yep. And then Poe, like you said, has control of the plane, and so now they're going to land in Vegas. But So he's given the options to, to get to the Vegas airport, and the pilot... Uh, he's called Swamp Thing, isn't he? That's his nickname. Says, we've got one busted engine and barely enough fuel. If if I'm landing this, I'm landing on the strip. And um, when I say landing, I mean crashing. Is that is kind of what he says? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is where they start to fly over. Now, there's, there's some fans of this film that get quite upset about the geography of the film. And by the, uh, I, I also looked into this as well. And he says... I think Larkin says the runway is like two blocks away 
I was like over there that way. And then Swamp Thing says, we're not, we won't make it. I'm going to land on the strip. They then hit the Hard Rock Hotel sign or like cafe sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like and the electric And destroy that. It? Now, according to the geography of Vegas, <laughs> that the airport is actually closer to the Hard Rock Cafe than the strip. So they would have made it to the airport. They, <laughs> they wouldn't have made it to the strip. Of course. So <laughs> I just thought I'd add that in there just so that the people that have, you know, actually worked that out, <laughs> you know, get a little mention. No, nice. Doing your due diligence. Absolutely. It's important. It is. It is. <laughs> At this point, Garland thinks it would be a great idea if he would sing, I've got the whole world <laughs> in his hands. He's got the whole world. Which is perfect to, you know, take the undertone of this scene. At this point, Larkin is realising what's happening and he's on the phone. He's saying, "Okay, we're going to need paramedics, emergency services, police, fire engines. And he says, anyone that knows CPR. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget that Garland Green has got the doll in his hand. He's got like the Ken doll. He does. And is it super creepy? We missed the part out as well to say that when the uh, Conair has taken back off, we do flip back and see the little girl wave into the plane as it's going. So we know that she was safe. And, She's fine, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. So it's nice to have that security in there. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, the plane is now coming down and is about, it, it hits the strip, doesn't it? And like glides along the strip. Very cleverly made, actually. I watched how they made that that scene. They used a combination of actually making a model. So they made a plane and they made the Vegas Strip out of models. And it, But they were, like, adult-sized. So they were, like, the, the plane was actually the size of a person. Oh, wow. That's how, tall, that's how tall it was. And the buildings were obviously a bit bigger. And they made the cars. The cars were actually, like, big remote control car size and stuff like that. And then they used a combination of CGI and models all sort of layered together to make that scene. And then there was a Vegas hotel that was due to be demolished while they were making um, this film. And they took advantage of that and said, can we smash up your hotel? So they actually basically made a structure of a plane go through the hotel and smashed it up so to make it look a bit more real very cool yeah that's great really insight cool. where was that on the on the blu-ray that the the making of was on on the blu-ray not not like a full making of but there were bits on there and then uh the rest i read very cool nice good deep diving thank you so at this point as the plane is about to crash Cyrus puts a gun to Poe's head and he says, the last thing Casey Poe will smell is my stinking breath. That's just, it's horrible. And the way he says it as well, so hot, like horrible, isn't it? And vile. And they, they get into a, a fight. They're in, they're in their sort of scuffle. They're locked in. And this is where the propeller flicks off, spins out of control, spins and goes, cuts through the aircraft. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's perfect 90s action. Yeah. Poe gets the female guard out and Baby-O out as the plane has, has crashed. But Cyrus, Diamond Dog and the pilot escape from under the plane. 
And then we see that Johnny's arm is left dangling. So his arm has been ripped off and we're assuming that he is now dead. So yeah. we've got his comeuppance. Absolutely. That tattoo is not attached to his body anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's burn the arm. Yeah. Uh, the female guard kisses Poe on the cheek. For a second here, I was like, hey, 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 you know he's got a wife. Be appreciative, well, sure. But, you know, I know what it feels... I know that urge to want to, you know, stroke Nicolas Cage's cheek, but chill out. To calm yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm stroking his cheek in the picture now, too. But, you know... <laughs> of course you are. I actually am. So Cyrus escapes on the fire engine and Poe and Larkin pursue on motorbikes, but they both sort of like get onto the motorbikes at the same time as if they're, you know, on the same mission. Yeah, so Swamp Thing is driving the fire engine and Diamond Dog is also on the fire engine. As they're sort of pursuing, we get more action beats here in the story and Diamond Dog gets blown up on the back of the fire truck. Yeah. I'm assuming he's dead. Absolutely. He's got to be. Poe gets on the fire truck. Poe and Cyrus fight. And then Poe stabs Cyrus in the leg with like a, some sort of like metal rod. Yeah, it's like a, it's got, it's like a hook on it, isn't it? I suppose the firefighters use it for poking like loose timber and stuff like that, I think. Nice. Like burnt timber. And then he ends up with that jammed through his leg, doesn't he? Or Cyrus does. Yeah. And then Larkin gets on top of the sort of where the cockpit of the fire truck is and hoses the pilot. And then Cyrus eventually is sort of tied to like the ladder of the truck and that gets sort of elevated up. And then he gets forced through uh, like a, a walkway. Like a, yeah, like a bridge. And then landing on electrical cables, being electrocuted. And then if that wasn't enough, what happens to him after that, Dom? He lands on like a conveyor belt in this plant and there's a there's like a, a crusher and he falls off the end of this conveyor belt and his head is right underneath where this this crusher is and it smushes his head. What an ending for Cyrus what, the virus. What a way to go. But it's classic and again classic 90s. Then the bunny is going down the gutter and Poe saves it. Away. Yeah, he saves it. It's lucky it's not that gutter that the clown from It lives in. Hey, George. Oh, yeah. Hey, Georgie. You like popcorn? Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> Poe sees his wife. He meets his daughter for the first time, but Casey doesn't want the bunny. Leanne Rhymes comes in again. And then, Dom, I could be listening to this cleaning and my face is wet. Oh, no. Every time. Without you. <laughs> Did you know that it's not actually Leanne Rhymes singing on the film? It's not actually... Although Leanne Rhymes does sing the song for the film, it's not Leanne Rhymes. Explain. It's someone else. Someone else was used to sing the song. Why? For the film. I don't know. Why would... But... But Why? <laughs> I don't know. What I have they... no idea. This... I think I think maybe because Leanne Rhymes was fourteen. Oh, she was fourteen at, at, at the time. Wow. Okay. So, some, oh, so, I've read that somewhere, but it wasn't Leanne Rhymes singing. 
Wow, crazy. In the film, only in the film version. It's only in Con Air. She wasn't. She wasn't singing. Oh. It wasn't her. It wasn't her voice. So I, I, as much as I, you know, don't want to break your heart. I feel like I just have. Well, that's. It makes me cry every time. Every time. But no, it then Poe says happy birthday, darling, and then Poe cries, and then we end with. We've got a new shooter coming up on the craps table and there's Garland Green <laughs> just having Love a great life. just having a great time in Vegas. And then that's it. We get the credits and then we get really happy credits where it's sort of happy music, back to Sweet Home Alabama, and then we get to see all of the cast. But each time it's focused on someone, it's like them sort of smiling or laughing. So even like all of these criminals like Billy Bedlam and Diamond Dog and everyone. And it sort of just ends on this really positive note of, you know, it's very tongue-in-cheek and no one's taking it too serious. You know, it's just a bit of entertainment. And that's Con Air. Hey, we made it to the end. We did. We did. So, Dom, it's time for the judgments. Judgments. So, Dom, who was your favourite performer of the primary cast? Okay, so I know exactly who you're going to say because you're basically in love with the guy. So I'm going to say someone different. And I actually think John Malkovich was probably probably the best performer for me. Um, Some really good lines, very well delivered, very funny, uh, very commanding, very creepy, very to the point, very aggressive. Yeah, great. Just great all round, I think. Nice. What about yours, Simon? (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> I am going to have to say Nicholas Cage. He's, he's the best. It's freeing to me how he is just able to completely be himself, and I love it. So I have to say Nicholas Cage. What about your favourite performer of the secondary cast? I think Baby O is really good. I also think Steve Buscemi as Garland Green is really good. So I'll, I think I'll probably give it to um, Steve Buscemi as Garland Green for just being that freaky, weird psycho and, and putting that doubt in your mind that he's killed this kid because uh, you would believe that he would do it with the look he has in his eye and just the weird stories he has. And he's just proper, proper creepy. So I think it goes to him from me. What about you? I, I completely agree. Nothing to add. Oh, nice, nice. What about Love your favourite scene? I think probably when... It's more my favourite line when Cyrus the Virus says, welcome to Con Air, and that bit where they first take over the aircraft. So I think I'll go with that one. What about yours? I'm going to show you God does exist. <laughs> That's your favourite scene online. I love that bit. Yeah, it has From to be. any film ever. Potentially, yes. Wow, that's that's bold. That is a bold statement. I'm going to show you God does exist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then what about your, so your judgments, your personal ratings of the film? So, um, so you mean subjectively, like for nostalgia, etc.? Yes. I have to go straight in with the ten. Nice. For, for nostalgia, this is up there for me. This is in the top creme de la creme of, you know, Die Hard, Con Air, Face Off, Mighty Ducks 2, Free Ninjas, Gone in 60 Seconds. Like these, you know, Back to the Future, Armageddon. These are like my classic 90s nostalgia 
perfection. So I'd have to give it a 10. But objectively, like with the film critic's hat on, I'd probably give it like a 7. Because even as a film critic, or being more critical, there's still so much to love about this film. Obviously, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. And anyone trying to take it too serious and nitpicking things and i know we did a little bit of nitpicking here and there but you know it's just it's what we're doing on the podcast but you know it's just a all-round fun film what would you say yeah. dom what are your ratings objectively and subjectively subjectively on a like i said nostalgia kind of feel and view i would give it a eight i think it's a fun film it's great it's got some great lines it reminded me a lot of when we were younger and watching it and it you know it's a film that both my parents like and it's unusual for them to agree on anything let alone like a, the same sort of film so um that's always good and then i think objectively i would have to agree i, I would give it a seven and i think that's quite a generous you know kind of number you know I, agreeing with imdb 6.97 so seven is definitely a good a good figure to go with for it it's got that entertainment value it's well produced there's a there's a lot of action in it there's some really good lines some really good performances so yeah that's why i would give it nice well it is that time dom It is that time. It's that time where I get to pick the film that is next, that you have to do the deep dive on for our next podcast. Are you ready? I am ready, Dom. Okay, so the film I've picked, I think we both like, and I'm quite confident, I'm quite confident you liked it. I definitely liked it. Uh, We both know it quite well, and it is from 1995. The film is Goldeneye. Ooh, love Goldeneye. Our first Bond Bond film uh, and a great great one as well. So Pierce Brosnan's first as James Bond. Did you pick it because you want me to do the dun-dun-dun-dun? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Is it Tina Turner? Yeah, Tina Turner, yeah. Tina Turner. I, I want you to dress as Tina Turner. I want the little the dress. I want Nutbush City Limits all hanging out. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 da, da, da. No, dressed in leather. <laughs> Golden chains. Da, 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 da. Goldeneye's a great film, obviously even further enhanced by the amazing N64 game as well, which we loved. So, yeah. Absolutely. So there you go. GoldenEye is the deep dive you've got to do, and all i got to do is watch. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I look forward to deep diving into GoldenEye for our next episode. So, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We would really appreciate that. We, we appreciate all of the support. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Just leave us some love. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at the Mighty Nineties. We're getting a slightly bigger following now, so it'd be good if you could follow us. And then anything you have to say to us, then please do. Please uh, rate, review, but please remember to be gentle with us. And please wear gloves. Take care of yourselves. Remember social distancing and look after each other. And also remember themightynighties.com. Thank you. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> <laughs>